thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Welcome, ladies, to our one-year celebration of Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And today we are celebrating 52 episodes of Wellness Women Radio. Hooray, Andrea. Well done. Hooray. I know. This is so exciting. Um, It's definitely been longer than a year, but this is our 52nd episode. So that's certainly worth celebrating. Uh, We were going to kind of celebrate on the 50th episode because that's quite a milestone. Um, But then we kind of forgot. And so we thought that 52 is exactly a a year of recording, I guess. Um, So that's reason enough. And so today we thought, uh, rather than rolling out a brand new topic, we're actually going to do a bit of a recap and and reflect back on the fantastic year of uh, podcasting we've had and sort of address some of the great questions we've had that we haven't always got around to your questions. And thank you for sending them in because some of the episodes just required so much depth that we didn't get a chance to get through all the different questions and expand on all those topics. But today we're going to run through a couple of key ones that people have sent us because we thought that's kind of cool. That's interesting. Um, And also, I think, go through a couple of things like, what's it been like for us um, recording these podcasts? Because when we were at the Wellness Summit, Andrea, I was fascinated to people asking, oh my gosh, you know, oh, you guys are so amazing. Can't believe how you do it. Oh, if you're too scared. Like there's just so much feedback with um, such beautiful, positive compliments. But it was interesting how quickly women put themselves down um, thinking that they couldn't do the same thing. Now, obviously, you know, if you want to talk about a certain topic, there's got to be a little bit of credential to you. So yes, I wouldn't encourage uh, anyone to just go out there and talk about something. But I think every one of us has a skill set. And gosh, I mean, if you wouldn't want to talk about woodworking or if you want to talk talk about uh, crafting or, you know, maybe you're an absolute genius with kids and you want to talk about your child rearing experiences, I would say go for it. And so today we're going to talk about some of the things that really made us buzz um, as we talked about the year. And of course, some of the behind the scenes stuff too, because a lot of you probably don't realize because you don't get to see any videos of what we do, which probably might be something we do in the next year. I'm not sure yet because <laughs> there's a good reason why we haven't turned the camera on because some days we're, we're rushing, uh, you know, out the door to do things and, you know, we record our half hour before we go. I know certainly sometimes I'm dressed, ready to go for work and other days I'm still sitting in my pajama bottoms. So <laughs> I, I don't... Oh, totally. There's days when, especially when we've done uh, interviews with other people and we have to work in their time differences. Yeah. Uh, there's been times when I've literally rolled straight out of bed to get onto the microphone. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you get you all, know, all pepped up. You don't though, need though. to be on for that. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. And uh, I think, you know, ladies listening, you probably don't even realise there's a lot of times we record and there is a little bit of creative editing involved. Um, sometimes there's, you know, some things that we just go on a tangent and end up rolling around laughing and thinking, oh, that's ridiculous. People do not want to listen to us and our nonsense. Um, and then other times, you know, we drop an F-bomb or something like that. We go, oh, gosh, you know, (laughs) that's not really what we want to convey. So I know that from behind the scenes, I've certainly done some editing, creative editing over the last 52 episodes, just um, cutting and pasting a few things that uh, we've, I guess, felt the need to bring you quality content. And that doesn't uh, necessarily mean dropping in our own personalised creativity sometimes. Yeah, I like how you call it uh, creative editing as well, Ash. That, that's a good that's a good disclaimer there. Um, and we're going to talk about some of the things that we've learned along the way and some of the aspirations or the hopes that we have for the podcast, for the show and for the wellness women that we hope to bring to you over the next 12 months as well. And 
we do this for you guys. We get absolutely no kickback whatsoever um, from this. This is not a so much a, a business, I guess you could call it for us. Um, this is a podcast for you know our listeners that's created you know for us, but I mean by us, but for you. So any of the information that you're hearing is because we've got inspired by you know, our own patients, our own stories, some of the questions that you've sent through. Um, and this is very much directed as to what you want and what you're loving. And we've looked at our statistics over the last sort of 12 months or so, and it's been a pretty incredible journey. Uh, we know that every episode gets thousands and thousands of downloads from um, pretty much all of the continents, particularly, you know, obviously Australia is the biggest one. Second uh, is the US, then Canada, the UK, New Zealand. Um, and that that's kind of um, the, the major countries that we've got listeners in there. So shout out to all of you guys, because I think that that is just incredible. Um, and to date, I think last time I checked, we were ranked number 31 on iTunes for the top health podcasts around the world. And that's pretty phenomenal. I, I think that that's pretty amazing, especially from our, you know, what I like to call our humble beginnings, Ash, uh, when we first sat down in Vans Cafe in Cottesloe uh, with the idea and we sort of jumped on board um not really knowing if anyone would actually listen. <laughs> yeah, but, it was an awkward journey, wasn't it? Because you think, well, look, even if it only helps 10 people, it's 10 more than if we didn't record a single episode because these are conversations we wanted to have anyway. And we thought, oh, well, what's the worst that will happen? You know, 10 people will listen, 100 people will listen. How cool, you know, at least someone's going to walk away with better info. And then as it grew and grew and grew, and I mean, as a reflection from that, like just look at the Wellness Couch Award we got, which is the fastest growing podcast uh, for 2016 for the Wellness Couch. Fantastic. I was, I'm still surprised. I'm constantly amazed. But um, what it also tells me, though, is that um, I guess on a serious note, there's a lot of women, a lot of us out there struggling with our health, with our health direction, um, with our search for good information or the right information, um, or with our search for options. I mean, goodness, that's really where I started on my journey in the women's health zone was simply not having options, being frustrated enough to then go out there and try and find for myself what information is going to work for me. Um, because gosh, if there's a one size fits all approach to women's health, we just need that little magic Bible and and all of us would follow it and we'd all be fantastic and we'd all feel amazing. Um, but as we know, that's unfortunately not the case. So the great thing is here on uh, Wellness Women Radio, we try and just cover some of those topics that are a little bit more controversial at times. I know certainly yeah. we've had feedback, you know, good, bad and ugly too, actually, where people absolutely disagreed with us and thought we were, you know, down the wrong path because we're not uh, agreeing with the medical model of approach to certain topics. And that's okay. We're, we're totally okay with that because it's also about presenting uh, options as well. And I think that's yeah. what it is for you guys listening. It's about being an informed consumer, about having choice. And Asha, I love what you said there, but I think the thing that's important is that even uh, when some of the topics and some of our suggestions or our research that were pre presented hasn't been necessarily in alignment with, say, mainstream Western medicine, it doesn't mean that it's not uh, very much uh, well-researched and, and backed up by scientific data as well. Um, and I think that a lot of the the things that we've covered that that will be time tested and i think the research will catch up with that as well um so you know we, we haven't had much negativity which is fantastic um there have been you know some learning along the way and there's also been some topics that didn't actually make it to air um we record these as often as we possibly can at least once a week um 
And the topics, uh, we kind of draw inspiration from, you know, it might be things that are trending, it might be something topical that's come up with a particular patient of ours that we know that that information needs to be fed to our audience as well, or it could be an individual question. Um, and there's been a couple that we have tried to cover that just haven't made it to air. So yeah, they didn't go off the ground. We just didn't feel the vibes. Yeah, in particular, there was there was two that come to mind. Um, one was uh, a topic that we put together on painful sex and what that means and the reason why it happens and all sorts of other things. And we just couldn't really get our vibe for that recording. Um, it just wasn't flowing. It, it was just one of those topics where it seemed to have too many, uh, I guess, roadblocks. And we're like, okay, there's a reason why this is happening. Let's try and revisit that another time. And maybe that's something that we do get an expert in for to cover that with us. And the other one was um, women and low libido. And it's interesting that those those two topics are kind of, you know, along that, that similar vibe. And I think because of the really strong psychological um, undertone that, that goes with your libido and it's such an important thing for women we couldn't get inspired to do that on our own either uh, it's and also so because we're not psychologists you know we, we don't yeah. deal in mental health every single day uh, so I think it was a challenge to talk about something that I didn't feel absolute uh, congruency with in terms of my expert knowledge yeah yeah I agree and I we, we tried to stay away from the psychology of it even for that episode but we didn't feel like we were doing it justice hmm. so we are not um, going to hesitate pulling episodes if we don't feel like we've done them justice as well. Yeah. Um, well, that's, Ash- qual- that's quality control, isn't it, Andrea? That's, that's just yeah, outstanding. Yeah, we yeah, say, that's- look, if it doesn't sound good to us and we're not cool and feeling feeling great with uh, the recording, we're certainly not putting it to air. And I must say I do laugh every now and then if I've clicked back on, you know, episode one to five, somewhere, you know, two, three, four, five, and I listen to them, I think, oh, my gosh, did we sound like that? I, I feel as though we've really evolved. We've really changed in the last uh, last year because the hardest part is getting started, ladies. In And this goes for anything in your life. It's not about getting ready to be perfect, to launch, to be ready and to have it so polished that you can now put it out there. Sometimes you've got to rough it. Sometimes you just got to got to go put it out there, be uncomfortable that it's out there and then go, I'm going to do better next time. And that's really how it started because otherwise if we'd have waited to be polished, Andrea, I'm not even sure we'd have started by now. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely not. And I, um, I have a bit of a confession to make and I feel like this is probably a good time to do it. Of the 52 episodes that we have actually released, I have not been able to go back and listen to any of them. Oh, truly? Not one. And so I guess this is kind of reveals a little bit more insight into how we operate as well. So um, Ash and I kind of divvy up the workload. And one of the things that Ash does is do some of that created editing. So she will re-listen to the episodes um, and you know, cut and paste where we need to, but we try not to do that. We try and just do one take um, as best we can. So we try and be best prepared um, for it. But to this day, I haven't actually been able to go back and re-listen to entire episodes. Um, oh, so you put your full trust in me to make you sound absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, I, I love it. And this is something that's uh, a goal for me to be able to be a little bit more self 
um, oh, good God, self-critical maybe, um, to be able to actually go back and listen to them and go, okay, I, I need to change this up. I need to stop saying this one particular word. And I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. I'm sure you've heard us say certain things to absolute nauseam. Um, but that is a goal for me. And when I'm able to go back and listen to them in their entirety um, and give myself my own uh, constructive criticism, I'll let you know. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And for certainly for me as well, uh, ladies, I apologise previously in advance as well. I have tried really, really hard to stop my my gaps being the filler of, you know. So every now and then I realise, you know, within, I just think I've just done it just then, um, within a short period of time, it's like, you know, and, you know, and the reality is I know you guys don't know. That's why we're sharing what we do. So um, I'm endeavouring over the next year to do my best to to break that filler and uh, and keep the content rolling. So that's really the bloopers, the background, some of the behind the scenes. And now we're going to sort of look forward. And I certainly know that in looking forward, I like to reflect on some of my favourite episodes in the last year. And I'm just going to list my top three or four and Andrea's going to roll through with hers as well. I certainly love going back to that sugar episode, which is number seven, because it was really topical. It was so fantastic. That sugar film was just out. There was so much happening. And here we are a year later realising that content has not changed. If yeah. anything, the movement has gathered momentum, more women are aware of it and are more uh, conscious of how it's affecting their health and well-being and particularly their hormonal endocrinal systems as well. So that for me was a really exciting episode. So if you haven't heard the sugar episode, go back to number seven. Mm. Um, I also loved the five love languages. Uh, wow, that was a reminder about the communication in our personal lives, uh, our interpersonal relationships, not just our, our I guess, our sexual, our, our most intimate relationships, but our friends and our family, our children, how we communicate with the people we care about. And communication is the key to being understood and to understanding. So I certainly encourage you to go back and uh, have a listen to the five love languages. And Asha, it's really interesting. We have some beautiful male listeners who listen to the show as well. Yeah, so give a shout out to all of the gorgeous guys who tune into Wellness Moon Radio. Um, I think that's awesome that you've got it on your podcast app there for all to see. And the feedback that I've had from the guys who tune in is that the Love Languages episode was really illuminating for them to help them to understand their partners and, you know, even previous relationships a hell of a lot better. So how cool is that? Um, I, we know it's pretty insightful, but I'm glad it's helping the dudes too. Yeah, and certainly I got great feedback um, in my practice from episode 22, which was actually holistic preconception because mm -hmm. it's phenomenal how many women are in their early 20s and they know somewhere down the track they want to have children or they're maybe in their 30s and they're, they're starting to think, okay, maybe kids is really on the radar now. But what a lot of women don't realise is it's not just as simple as saying, okay, next month I want a full pregnancy, so we're just going to stop the contraception and we're just going to start trying. Um, it's really about that journey to prepare your body, to prepare your mental, emotional state so that you're in this beautiful congruency, you know, internally, mentally, physically, emotionally, and ready for that next part of your life, which is uh, to, to bring a, a gorgeous little creature into this world. And I think it, it's, <laughs> creature. you know, you just don't know what you're going to get. I've seen some monsters out there and I think, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, and, and of course they're all angels. They really are. But it's on, on that approach of saying, hey, your health starts from the inside out. And that includes our preconceptive bodies, making sure our body is, uh, is really ready for the, the journey of uh, pregnancy. 
Yeah, awesome. I've loved those episodes as well, Ash. My top favorite at the moment um, is episode number 24, the episode on menstruation. We're talking about myths and mysteries. Mm. And, you know, any of the ones where we delve into, um, you know, the divine world that is the female reproductive system and our, our hormonal system is certainly, you know, the things that I'm completely and utterly obsessed about. But that episode in particular, I really loved because we kind of delved into the rhythms of a woman's cycle and why that is, and also looking back on on the way that women used to be revered and how we used to honor those cycles and use it so powerfully. Uh, so it's certainly something that I aspire to as well. So being more in touch with the rhythms and I love that, um, you know, a lot of my patients are trying to get on that same page as well. Um, my, I think my second favorite was episode 20, the one that we did on PCOS. Yeah. Uh, we had so much positive feedback come back from women who have been diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome or might have polycystic ovaries themselves uh, or are kind of borderline, you know, showing some sort of symptoms of that. And it's a very um, powerless kind of condition if you're talking about it medically, because a lot of the time they're told that there's nothing that you can do. When, if you listen to that episode, you'll realize that getting in control of your own health is so essential to feeling in control of that condition as well. And there's so many things that you can do personally, including targeted lifestyle changes to really shift that. Uh, so I, I, I really love that. And I love the research and everything that we presented on that, that episode as well. Um, and I think my third favorite uh, was episode number six, our secret men's business episode. Uh, I just think that sometimes we forget the gorgeous guys in our life and how important their hormonal function is as well. And especially in this day and age when there's a lot of things that can interrupt with guys, um, you know, hormones and reproductive function as well. I don't want to leave them behind. So I really loved that episode. I thought that was really fun for us to do. And especially the way the episode came about and some of the things that triggered why we needed to cover that and why it was so essential. Um, yeah, I think that was pretty cool. Ash, are there any episodes that um, or any particular bloopers or, or really powerful lessons that you've learned along, uh, you know, the way over these last 12 months? I certainly thought it was a great new journey for us to dive into the interviews, uh, yeah. to interview some amazing people that we love, respect, trust and admire. And uh, and right up there was Cindy O'Meara with her What's With Wheat episode. Mm -hmm. I think so many people are struggling with their their celiac sort of intolerances, glu well, non-specific gluten sensitivity. There's there's so many different factors there. But, you know, I love talking to Sydney and then roll that in because we had Cal Brock giving his overview, you know, on just some great foundational lifestyle principles. Jeremy yeah. Princey. Elise Carr with her beautiful sexuality episode. Yeah, there's just yeah. there's such great. And of people. course, Damo. We can't remember. We can't forget Damo because oh, like, we'll be deeply offended if we forget our beautiful <laughs> wellness couch And Tyler Tolman. Um, I mean, we, we've yeah. just had so many beautiful people, and uh, we're really blessed that they were donating their time to us and giving us their their space and their time and their knowledge and their I guess expertise to give us those interviews and share with you guys listening some of their incredible. Uh, you know, knowledge, skills, basis. We're really hoping to bring out some other fantastic people in this year ahead. So really excited to unroll them as the year goes on. But I would uh, love yeah, to. I certainly enjoyed spending lots of time in hotel rooms with strange men. That was that was lots of fun. <laughs> 
Yeah, that, that as you know, ladies, that's probably the one thing where you do have to do. Sometimes you need to make house calls in order to be able to catch these <laughs> in order to catch these guys because uh, so many of uh, our superstars are just so busy. So if we can catch them while they're in town or or grab them while they're online, we we certainly do that. But I would like to get into some of our other superstars and that's some of our listeners and some of the questions that they left for us uh, because today I would like us to go through, I guess, some of the key questions that came up that we haven't got to yet. And ladies listening, please, if you've got more questions, throw them at us because we'll probably do another one of these episodes down the track in a few months' time. It's really cool to do a sort of Q&A style uh, program where we can just go into some quick short answers on questions that come up. Um, and ladies, this is in no particular order and this is certainly not an exhaustive list of the questions that have come through. Um, we've just kind of selected a few at random uh, that are topics that we haven't necessarily covered in detail um, and we're going to try and give you a bit of a snippet of information and if you want us to go into more detail, let us know um, if there's you know a particular topic here that you want more info on and please keep the questions coming. Um, so this first one comes from Sam from Victoria. Um, she wants wants to know a little bit more about bacterial vaginosis and also pubic hair, uh, <laughs> which I think is really funny because it's not yeah. even a topic that we've even thought of covering. Um, and, you know, what the function of it is, um, why it's there, do we need it, should we, you know, keep getting rid of it? Uh, so let's start with the first part of the question, and that is bacterial vaginosis. Um, for those of you who are not aware of it, it's a pretty uncomfortable condition that happens for, you know, it, most women actually will experience um, BV or bacterial vaginosis throughout their, um, you know, sexual history at some stage. It is a bacterial infection. It very much mimics candida or um, another condition called trichomonon. Oh my gosh. And like, I'm doing a terrible job of pronunciation today. So Ash, you're going to have to edit that part out, but <laughs> trichomoniasis. Um, and it, it does produce a lot of discharge. It can be quite uncomfortable or at the same time, it can actually be asymptomatic as well. Um, it mimics a lot of different things. So you might have recurrent candida infections, but it might actually be bacterial vaginosis. But I want to make it very clear, this is not a sexually transmitted infection or disease by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it is becomes more um, recurrent or becomes acute when women have new sexual partners. And it also is more common if you have multiple sexual partners. Now, my theory behind this is that it is a change in the um, the flora or the bacteria, the normal bacteria of the vagina. So when you have a new sexual partner, their you know, genital bacteria is going to be different to your own. And I think this is your body's own way of readjusting that space as well to, to better fit and protect you and your partner as well. Uh, there's some things that can make you more susceptible to bacterial vaginosis, including, um, so douching either with water, medicated solutions, or anything else that women might use to actually clean or cleanse the vagina. And I certainly don't recommend any of those sorts of things. Um, having baths with any antiseptic liquids as well, because it just does kill the bacteria off there. And there's a regrowth process that has to happen. Um, like we said, new partners and multiple partners, any kind of perfumes that might be in soaps or in bubble baths or anything like that. Uh, smoking absolutely increases your risk of um, BV, uh, as does using your IUDs, um, any vaginal deodorants and um, the washing detergents or powders that you might use when actually washing your underwear. 
Now, if you think you might have bacterial vaginosis, your GP will do a swab to test for it. So it will be an, an intravaginal swab that they'll do. Um, and they'll most likely recommend uh, antibiotics for the condition. Um, if used correctly, the antibiotics are between 85 to 90% effective. Um, there can be further complications with it. So you can get, you know, pelvic inflammatory conditions and all sorts of different things. However, remember it is a change in the normal bacteria of your vagina. Um, so good hygiene practices can be very protective. So with new partners, this is when you really, you know, you're in that loved up, really lusty kind of uh, time when you just want to rip each other's clothes off all the time. So start slow, make sure there's plenty of foreplay, make sure there's plenty of good lubrication. Um, I would certainly recommend using coconut oil so it's not going to destroy the, the natural uh, bacteria that you've got there anyway. Make sure you're using protection um, and you're urinating after sex and avoiding chemicals as well. So so any of the chemicals to wash or cleanse the area, I definitely wouldn't suggest. Um, make sure if you do have a new partner and you're prone to this, that you're doing all your really good immune boosting stuff. So some good quality probiotics, a single strain probiotics is what I always recommend and ones that are specific for you. And Bioceuticals have actually just come out with a new um, sort of intravaginal suppository probiotic as well, uh, which looks really fantastic. I need to look into it more. I need to read more research on it. So kind of watch this space. Um, but those sorts of things can really help protect you from this as well. Um, if you do have specific concerns about this, I would definitely say speak to your healthcare practitioner uh, because you don't want to leave a bacterial infection um, that needs to be treated go for too long if it does actually require treatment. Um, so, Ash, is there any any more info that um, you would think that we would need on on BV right now? Oh, we did a whole episode, but I think it's a nice quick summary there. And then getting to the second part of that question is, you know, why the pubic hair <laughs> and whether we need it or should we get rid of it or, you know, do, do we uh, our, our gorgeous sculpting methods? And the, I, I went back to thinking about this and I thought, gosh, uh, back in high school it was the big deal. Like you had to do the Brazilian because everyone did the Brazilian and I don't even know why. It was, <laughs> it was fashionable. It certainly wasn't um, any other reason. I have heard people say that, you know, trimming the pubic hair is better for hygiene and all that sort of thing. What are your thoughts, Andrea? Oh, you know, this is such an really, really interesting question because there's almost like a, a fashionable trend. But then if you look at the sociological theories around pubic hair removal, it actually becomes like quite controversial and very polarizing as well. So there's a few sociological theories that suggest that it, it all has to do with, you know, different cultural trends um, and definitely fashion as well, because uh, we're in bikinis a lot more and much smaller, more revealing bikinis. And that's why we've sort of gone from not just bikini waxing, but then to full um, Brazilian waxing where, you know, everything's gone. Um, and that can also be because women are wearing thongs or G-strings on the beach as well. Um, and it, it's certainly popular because we've seen, you know, it in mainstream media, what certain actresses and all sorts of things that we see and that people might see on pornography as well. Um, it's usually kind of all gone or there's, there's not much there. And uh, it's interesting that um, theorists will say that it's all sort of some perverted way to try and return us to, you know, our childhood or pre-pubescent state, which I'm not even going to go into because it's just a bit strange. Um, there is two schools of thought. So removing the pubic hair is not, you know, necessarily the best thing because it can like, irritate 
the hair follicle when it's removed either by shaving, using creams or waxing as well. Um, and it can leave little microscopic open wounds that can increase your risk of infection as well. Um, all the research in um, surgical practice shows that if they need to do some sort of procedure, whereas we used to think that shaving the area was more hygienic and now they know that it actually increases your risk of infection, including pathogens like um, group A streptococcus uh, and it can increase uh, staph and your incidence of boils and things like that. Um, there is a purpose to pubic hair, which a lot of people are not aware of, and it actually can reduce friction um, so it can stop the uh, occurrence of skin abrasions and injuries and it can also protect from bacteria entering um, the vagina and any other wanted unwanted pathogens but it also you know really initiates that transition into adolescence as well so it's definitely nothing to be ashamed of or embarrassed about uh, but the most interesting I think thing is that the pubic hair is actually almost like a, a pheromone diffuser. <laughs> and I'm wondering if this is biologically why it is there in the first place. Um, so it's part of that that pheromonal chemical attraction that we have to our mates. And a lot of the time that the pheromones are completely odorless um, and it kind of enhances our sexual awareness. Um, that is sort of the, the theory around why it's there. Uh, there is some risk to removing it. It's completely personal choice. So, so ladies, you do whatever makes you feel most comfortable, um, not anything else. And I definitely do not suggest dyeing the pubic hair though. Absolutely stay away from that. There's been all sorts of weird and wonderful trends. Do not dye your pubic hair. Uh, but <laughs> so that's that's on authority right there. So yeah. uh, I think, you know, coming from the wellness women's position, we believe that your body is beautiful as it is. Do what you wish with it in regards to uh, hair or no hair. It's totally your choice. Um, and it's going to take a little bit of courage if you choose to have hair in places that are visible. As you know, socially, being hairless is is the, the norm. I would hate to say it. But, um, you know, if you, if you want to have hair on your legs and your arms and, and downstairs, don't hesitate. Just but you have to wear it loud and proud, I think is the key there, um, to do it in full comfort of who you are with that. And this is, again, about the empowerment thing, isn't it, Andrea? Like we just talked about one of your favourite episodes being Divine Feminine. Well, this is kind of owning that space. And I've found that the women I've no noticed or, or met you know, in my life have been um, incredibly powerful women who have been able to uh, keep the hair on their armpits and keep the hair on their legs. I've found that yeah. really interesting and actually quite the opposite of what media would have you think with the hippie lalas. I actually found them, wow, it's really, really powerful. And you know what? I think it's completely personal choice. Whatever practices that you use that help to stand in your own divine feminine power, then, you know, that's exactly what you should be doing. Yeah. Um, so if that's removing your pubic hair, keeping it, you know, doing whatever you want with it, as long as you're not dying it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So purple is out for this season. Sorry. Yeah, guys. absolutely. Uh, okay. Ash, I'm going to uh, spin a question to you now. Um, and this is uh, something really interesting and it's should women cycle with the moon? So should they have their period with the full or new moon and should, should it coincide? Oh, and you know, here's that word should because should has so much connotation to it because when we suddenly should do this and should do that, we suddenly put ourselves into a place of sometimes anxiety because we think, oh, we're not normal, we're not this. Let's just say historically that we as females did cycle with the moon, okay, mm -hmm. and yet statistics from modern 
world would have 25% of women menstruating at any one time, which means that women are cycling with the full moon, with the dark moon, halfway through. And, uh, and yet historically, women traditionally ovulated on the full moon and bled with the dark moon or the, the, the no moon when there's uh, darkness. So the new moon, yeah. And, moon, and I know thanks. that's true for me, yeah. Um, and, you know, revealing lots of delightful personal information here. But um, I think it's important for me, I ovulate on the full moon and I menstruate on the new moon. And uh, mine is, is sort of like clockwork with that. So my cycle is exactly 28 or 29 days. Um, and, yeah, it's it's interesting that it waxes and wanes with the, the moon cycles as well. Yeah, so look, it, there's 500 million women at any one time bleeding. So there's a lot of women in the planet uh, going through this cycle each month. And I think the key there is that look, prior to around the 1800s when electricity was introduced, women would in general ovulate according to the physiological uh, responses to how much light was in the sky at night. So we were more in tune with earth rhythms such as sunrise and sunset. Um, you know, homes didn't have blockout blinds to, to eliminate the sun in the mornings and often we were still outside doing things in the evenings, um, not dragging in from work to feed, to sit in front on the TV to go to bed. So our natural cycle of our day-to-day lifestyle habits has substantially changed. And that's why women no longer ovulate in great synchronicity with Mother Earth. And I like to reference Mother Earth because, I mean, the moon has so much power in life. It's responsible for the tides that come and go. Um, It interacts with electromagnetic fields of our body. And it also infects a lot of our internal functions based on that uh, electromagnetic field and function. So I think for women who understand their relationship with the moon or who want to research this and get, um, I guess, more understanding and connection, There's certainly some great authors and great people who've written about these topics. It's worth grabbing a book. I think for me, I I read a beautiful book um, a few years ago and that was, just trying to think who it was. Um, Well, it's definitely Christiane Northrup's book, which was Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. Mm -hmm. And she has a great section in this as well, just talking about, you know, when the full moon comes around, what we experience. And the fascinating thing is the lunar cycle as well really changes our emotional response rates to things. So there's periods of creativity, periods of withdrawal, um, periods of, you know, power and, and assertion. And I think when you start to see how that all connects with moon cycles, it almost uh, makes you want to go and get in touch with nature. It, it makes you want to get back in rhythm with the moon cycle if you're not. So ladies, if you're not ovulating on the full moon and then bleeding on the new moon, which is the dark moon, then I would actually encourage you to maybe learn a little bit more about this, understand your body more, understand why the cycles exist and why Mother Nature has these rhythms. Because for a lot of women who are experiencing fertility issues, I've certainly seen some research that suggests getting into that cycle, that uh, nature cycle, assists with fertility, which is really, really cool. And yet nothing has changed except getting our rhythms more in line with moon and sun. Ash, so I think the, the really important thing there is that we are very much out of touch with those natural rhythms of what, you know, the earth and nature cycles used to be. So ladies, if this is important to you and if this is something that you would like to try and and change and maybe try and sync your cycle more up with the cycles of the moon as well, then there's a few little things that we could suggest. And first and foremost, and most importantly, is get out in nature more. 
Um, it's going to help your body to get a lot more grounded. You're certainly going to absorb all of that incredible energy from the earth as well. Um, I would suggest going camping so that you're out under the stars. You're helping your circadian rhythm get back uh, in alignment with the light dark cycles as well. Uh, there's certainly things you can do at home, like minimizing your um, extraneous light at night, making sure you're using lamps or candles into bed early, up early. These sorts of things help to regulate those cycles as well. Um, it's certainly a, a really powerful thing to have when your body is also in flow with the natural cycles, you know, with the moon as well. Uh, it certainly helps you to sort of just kind of cruise with the cycle as well. And I know that full moon periods are a lot more dramatic than new moon periods. I, I have no idea why, but it's, yeah, it just seems to be really interesting. <laughs> yeah. And it's, there's so much out there. It's great to have a little Google, look up, um, you know, moon cycle, look up something along like the, I think it's a red moon and, uh, white moon cycle it's really interesting just to see what other people out there have uh, opinions on this because it's really observation there's some science to it but the rest of it is simply an observation of life cycles which is uh, well how all of our forebearers before us figured out uh, fertility and how they've honored that fertile process uh, through the, the centuries and I'd love to point you in the direction of a book called in the house of the moon uh, reclaiming the feminine and it's by Jason Elias and Catherine Ketch I'm not sure if I pronounce those properly, um, but that might be a really interesting read for you as well. Yeah, we'll throw a link on uh, the uh, show notes for this episode. Yeah, perfect. Cool. So what's the next question? Right, what else is happening? Our next question is all about weight gain and the pill. We've had quite a few women actually asking about this topic in particular, and we've had a question that's come through. Um, uh, one lady has actually mentioned that she put on 45 kilos on the pill, and that's that's pretty significant. Now, if you look at the scientific literature, it's pretty divided on this subject. Um, if you look at patient opinions as to whether or not they think that they've gained weight on the pill, and I'm talking in particular about the combined oral contraceptive pill, which means that's the one that has both synthetic versions of progesterone and estrogen. Um, there was a study that showed that 81% of women have perceived weight gain on the oral uh, the combined pill, uh, so perceived meaning that they think that their their weight has gone up, whether or not anything has changed on the scales, and that's I think that's important as well because the way that you're feeling when you're taking the these drugs for whatever reason is really important. There's a few different theories as to what could be causing that, um, and. Uh, in in the most simplistic way, it can be because the fact that the combined pill certainly makes you retain fluid a lot, um, which can certainly, um, you know, give us reason to believe that we're actually putting on weight, whereas it might just be fluid retention because it actually changes your fluid balances, it changes your sodium balances, which means you retain sodium, which is what leads to the fluid retention. And But there's also direct stimulation of certain pathways in our kidneys, so the renin-angiotensin system, which is a pathway through the kidneys that uh, regulates fluid balances, is changed with the estrogen um, from the combined pill. The other theory is that when you're on a pill and it's creating an estrogen-dominant type environment, 
estrogen promotes weight gain and it promotes weight gain around the hips, butt and thighs, uh, which is where no woman wants to gain weight. <laughs> it's it's sort of that very feminine kind of weight gain or that, that pear-shaped pattern. And when your body fat percentage gets to a certain level, it actually becomes its own endocrine producing organ, meaning it produces more estrogen itself. So a more peripheral estrogen, which can be toxic versions, which can also suppress your thyroid function. So when it suppresses thyroid function we know that uh, is very much in control of our metabolism which is going to change that rate as well so there's many different pathways that can actually lead to weight gain if you if you're taking the combined oral contraceptive pill um, however the scientific literature is pretty split on it i've got a thought on that too because just the other day we posted uh, an article that came up or basically all major newspapers in australia have now reproduced this information and that is that the study that came out to show that there's a connection between the use of the oral contraceptive pill and depression and yeah. that's really interesting because what is the tendency that we have when we're feeling down or we're starting to have mood, mental, emotional changes and we're down, what is it that we tend to do to overcome our senses of depression? Now, emotional eating is a big part of that. And so I think that uh, there's also the potential there. And, of course, this is something to – it's conjecture. It's just its just a thought if we look at the way we function and the habits we have. Um, if we're starting to feel a bit down because the pill is affecting our mood and mental state, then it's more likely we're going to start to choose foods that may not necessarily be as healthful and as beneficial. And, uh, of course, then the likelihood of increasing weight just from that alone is going to go up because you're going to choose more calorie-dense foods, sugars, fats, things that uh, we categorically know is involved in the emotional eating. So mm -hmm. – that could also have a, a contributing factor. And, you know, that's not necessarily a direct link. So there's, there's always we're looking at cause or correlation. So this could be why the scientific literature is completely divided on this topic as to whether or not there is actually weight gain from the direct mechanisms of the pill. So whether or not that's actually causation or is it correlation in terms of what you're talking about, Ash? I, to be perfectly honest, I don't think it really matters. Um, I think if you're finding adverse symptoms or effects on the medication or on the pill that you're on and you're not happy with that, then that's something that you should address. Yeah, definitely. And I certainly know that, um, you know, a decade ago when I was on the pill and the option there to take the branded version of Yasmin or mm -hmm. generic and they would say, oh, but Yasmin's the one that, you know, you won't put on weight. And, of course, there's a bit of fear-based sales there because, of course, naturally as a female, the last thing I want was to put on weight. And that was a really interesting uh, – so I don't know if that information still being, I guess, suggested by the medical professionals, but I certainly know that back then that was something that was told to me and it also directed some of the choices I made from there. So, ladies, if you – yeah, like Andrew said, if you feel as though that your weight's being affected or your mood and mental state's being affected, address that with your healthcare professionals talk about it and uh, make some informed choices as to where to go next with that. Yeah, and absolutely let us know as well. If you found that there's a particular type of pill that you've had more adverse reactions to, we would love this information. So please post it on our Facebook page as well because I'm sure there's plenty other women within our tribe who may have similar experiences or they want to hear about your experience if they're making a decision for themselves too. Yeah, definitely. Alrighty, so our next question is an interesting one, and this is uh, about um, different types of sweetness, which is always a bit of a hot topic, and it's whether or not honey or agave is which is better, which is not, but particularly in the instance of PCOS. So we know that with polycystic ovarian syndrome, this is a very much uh, an insulin-resistant driven condition. So 
anything that's going to increase your chances of having insulin resistance. So pretty much anything that's sugar laden, any of the carbohydrates that's inducing an insulin response is not going to be good or beneficial for you. So you've got to get control of your sugar if you do have PCOS. Um, So we won't go into that because we certainly did on our episode that we did on that in particular, but let's definitely have a look at honey versus agave. So Ash, do you want to give honey a bit of a spiel? Well, look, I think it's really important to realize that this is not a simple case of just comparing calories and carbs for their energy value because um, at a glance, you would look and say, okay, two tablespoons of agave contains 85 calories and 21 grams of carbohydrate. The same amount of honey has a higher calorie total of 128 with 35 grams of carbohydrate. So just on a spoon for spoon basis there, you would say that agave is better. However, there's some compounding factors there. Um, I certainly have a preference towards honey and I'll give you a little bit of an insight as to why. Um, You've got a lot of other vitamins and minerals that come through with pure unalterated honey. And when I talk about pure unalterated honey, it means honey in its raw state, basically fresh from the farmer. A lot of the honey we buy on our shelves is uh, pasteurized. It's been heat treated. So any of the value there has been stripped. So any of the minerals, vitamins, anything else that could come through with the honey is pretty much annihilated. And the challenge there is that when we buy honey, really, we're just having pure sugar if it's coming straight off the shelves. However, you get the local farm honey and you're going to get a different profile there. So it's really hard because we're not comparing, you can't really compare the two, you know, a, a shop bought honey versus the, the farmer's honey, they're, they're very different. So I think just- So Ash, uh, in that instance, is there anything particular that we should be looking for on the labels for the honey? So should it be raw? Should it be from local sources? Is there anything in particular that will help us to, to make a better choice there? Well, look, they're still, they're saying to certify um, organic farms as well. So meaning that the bees are not treated with certain chemicals, the farm property is not treated with chemicals, the trees that they get their flowers from, that they they obviously make the honey from, um, are not treated with chemicals. Now, bees fly. So can you guarantee that every bee in that hive doesn't <laughs> fly somewhere else and get... I think that's probably challenging, but um, farmers who who look after their bees, bees are quite local. You know, they're they're homey, so they want to stay close to home. They'll use the immediate environment for their trees, um, which is why farmers can say they've got jarrah or they've got mallee honey or they've got or mm-hmm. they've got red gum because the bees will go to the same places to feed, which is why they have uh, different flavors come through. Um, so I think to answer your question there, looking for raw, um, looking for organic branded. And to be fair, why don't you just go to the honey farmer and grab one of those, you know, beautiful containers of actual honeycomb and pull the honey out of it yourself because you guarantee there's no uh, changes from there. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, And there's been quite a lot of controversy here in Australia recently about the honey industry and what you're getting on the shelf and how it's been treated and the chemical exposure that it's had. And it can actually be pretty, uh, pretty toxic for your body as well. Um, Anything in too high dose, especially that's as sweet as honey, um, it's not going to be good for you. But the the thing is that if you have a spoonful of, of honey, that is so sweet Um, and our palate will experience that and your body will respond instantly that you can't have any more of it. And it's because that is the natural way that your body is going to respond to something that it can actually recognize as real food. And that's your normal body's response to that. Whereas then when we move into artificial sweeteners, it's a completely different chemical concoction. And 
Agave is not necessarily, it's it's not artificial um, in its pure form. And let's talk about what it actually is and where it comes from. So agave is uh, mainly produced in Mexico. It's a syrup that comes from, um, it's, it's actually made from a tequila plant, <laughs> which I think is really interesting. Um, and it's about one and a half times sweeter than regular sugar. And and if like what you said with the, the honey versus uh, agave, calorie for calorie, it contains roughly about 60 calories per tablespoon, which is 20 calories more than, you know, just regular table sugar. Whereas the reason that it's become so popular is because it's supposed to be low glycemic or it's supposed to sit lower on that glycemic index scale. However, if you look at the way it's actually processed and you, you kind of delve a bit deeper into that, the health world has really shifted on its its view of agave. For a couple of years ago, it was the greatest thing ever in all the raw, especially raw chocolates and raw treats. Uh, it was in everything as the sweetener of choice because of the fact that we thought it was uh, sitting on that low glycemic index scale. Um, but I want you to remember that the alternative sweetener industry is big business. So in 2010, it netted 1.2 billion, and that's just in um, the US. So that is a huge profit that it's making. Um, and I guess in 2010 was was when it was at its peak. So I'm not quite sure what it is now. But I want you to remember that when it's actually manufactured, it uses a really highly processed procedure that basically strips all the natural occurring agave juice from the extract itself which has all the good nutritional value in it. And the end product is pretty much just the same as a high fructose corn syrup. And it actually contains more fructose than high, corn, than high fructose corn syrup itself, which in my opinion makes it incredibly dangerous to consume. So as far as I'm concerned, the jury is out on agave or it, it's in. Hang on. How do we say that? The jury is in. So we have a conclusion on that. Uh, yeah, let, let's just uh, interpret that that way. So as as far as we are all concerned, agave in its commercial form is really dangerous and pretty much mimics high fructose corn syrup. So if I were you, I would stay away from it and stay away from the products that's in it. And on a beneficial note, on the honey front too, I'm not sure, ladies, if you've had a look and or you've ever noticed, you know, at um, farmers markets and stuff. Certainly here in WA, we get it because of some of the trees we have in our region. Um, but there's also honey that has what they call a TA um, rating to it. So you might see on the jar TA 10 plus, TA 20 plus, TA 30 parts. If you don't know what TA is, it's basically the antimicrobial quality and it's in the term of total activity. So there's another really unique benefit there in the honey is that it has the ability to be antibacterial and antifungal, which is really interesting. So the higher the TA, if it's a TA 10, that's a lower level of um, the total activity of the antibacterial microbial properties um, and the higher the TA the better so of course you'll notice that the higher TA values as well are more expensive so yeah on the flip there you've also got the ability to uh, choose a honey for health pra practices as well a honey can be used as a throat lozenge to soothe you know raw mm -hmm. irritated sore throats um, it can be applied as a dressing to wounds and burns now don't just take this on face value and suddenly stick honey <laughs> on your wound but um, when you're using a high TA honey uh, traditionally the indigenous people of Australia have used honey for, well, if they've been here over 50,000 years, as a new researchers have shown, I'm just curious to know how long they've uh, recognised the beneficial healing properties that come from honey. 
And I guess it's that old adage that food is absolutely medicine. Um, all right, mm. so let's let's move along. The next one is uh, an interesting question, and again, it relates to a, a food query, and that is whether or not pro oh sorry whey protein isolate is healthy for you, and if it's considered a dairy product. Um, now, yes, it absolutely mm. is considered a dairy product. Um, yes. Whey is the byproduct of cheese, really. Um, it, it's it's the by, the byproduct of, of cheese making. Um, and look, I am pretty opinionated on protein powders itself. I know that you may be using one for a particular reason, uh, whether or not you have a certain a goal at the gym or you might be training for something in particular and that's helping you to achieve that. And if so, that's absolutely fantastic. The reason that I don't agree with protein powders is because I don't think you get health from a tub. And it's as simple as that. And I think that we've moved so far away from eating real food that there's just all sorts of different chemical concoctions that come into whey proteins. And, but, you know, let's look at what, what the actual isolate means. Um, there's a few different things. So there's the whey protein concentrates that you can get, there's hydrolyzed concentrates, there's isolates, and that's what we're going to look at right now. Um, and what it means by a protein isolate is that it's made from almost pure protein. So there's been a, a chemical um, change that's happened where they're using about 90 to 95% um, by weight value um, of protein, which means a lot of the nutrients and other components have been stripped away from the natural food. And the protein may come from whey. Um, it might also be from soy, rice, hemp, a whole bunch of other things. Um, but the isolate to get it to that means it's gone under a really rigorous refinement process, much more so than what the concentrate would. Um, and because of that refinement process, it means that it can have a higher protein content and it also means it's usually a bit more expensive as well um, what I don't like about the protein isolates is that it is very far removed from what that natural food source is and because it's expensive what they'll actually do is they'll put a whole bunch of other fillers and other things in there to make it financially viable for people and for them to you know the companies to still I guess make a profit because remember it is still business um, the concentrates certainly resemble more of the real food. Um, Ash, that, that's my opinion on at face value. Uh, what are your thoughts? Definitely agree with you on all fronts. Um, certainly not a fan of the protein powders for the reasons you've already said. However, um, just given the fact that I do work with a lot of athletes, I know that it's on the recommended nutritional uh, schedules for high-performing athletes. So let's then say... If you're going to take away protein isolate, let's get the best of the bad bunch. Um, mm -hmm. So that would mean that you're looking for whey protein isolates that are from grass-fed cows. So yep. you'll often find New Zealand grass-fed, things like that, because that just means that the cows are eating their natural food source and therefore not bringing into the, the milks and the milk byproducts um, any of the inflammatory processes go on in their bodies. So I'm just like organic, you know, meats, just the same as choosing organic fruit and vegetables, choose one that's from a grass-fed, uh, well-reared cow. And if you could choose something different, let's just talk about some of the alternatives there because I personally don't have whey protein powders, um, but I do have a protein powder. So this is where you, you and my clients go, so what do you have? What do you add? And for me personally, um, my husband and I throw hemp protein 
into our morning smoothies. There's mm-hmm. a couple of reasons I've chosen hemp. One, it's Australian grown, um, the particular brand we use up north, and that's fantastic. It's a whole protein powder. It's not pure protein like the isolates. So mm-hmm. what that means is it contains also some omega-3 fatty acids. Um, it also has a lot of essential minerals in there and the leave the fiber on it. So it's still got that belly filling sort of fiber attached to it, which means that you're going to stay fuller for longer. And it has the full profile of essential amino acids, uh, which are great for building muscle, lean muscle mass, which in turn helps with weight loss as well. Yeah, awesome. And look, there certainly are some pros to whey protein. Um, It can be very beneficial in certain situations. Um, It's been shown to be a precursor to glutathione production, which is one of our really, really potent antioxidants, which is really beneficial for the immune system as well. Um, However, if you have any issues um, with dairy, then I'd certainly be, you know, staying away from whey protein in particular. Um, And if it's something that you do want to consume, then I like the questions that you've raised, Ash. So, Think about these things. Um, Is it from an organic source? Because, you know, you don't want to be consuming something that's completely toxin laden. And is the way coming from, I would want to find out whether it's actually from cheese or is it from milk? Because if it's coming from the cheese, remember, it's been heated at least twice, which means that it's denaturating the, the proteins even more, which means it's changing them through that chemical process even more. Um, and if it has been heated to what temperatures, and you can certainly find out this information if you speak to the manufacturer about it, uh, because this should all be readily available for you. Um, find out what animal it actually comes from as well, because if it's stating that it's a whey protein, it may not be just assumed that it comes from cows. It could be goat, buffalo, it could even be camel, or it could be a mix of all of those, um, depending on the quality and, and the price of it as well. I would want to know if the animals have been fed any GMO grain products. I'd want to know if they were being fed anything um, that would have a cocktail of antibiotics or hormones and whether or not um, the milk uh, or the cow producing the milk for the whey has actually been injected with bovine growth hormone. So those are the questions that I'd want to ask. And if I was committing... Yeah, it's so hard for people to make a good choice because how are you supposed to find out some of that information? It's it's going to take a lot of digging and searching, isn't it? So you do have to be committed to the process. If you want to consume uh, packaged foods that have been processed, you need to then go and investigate the process. Uh, so look, I think it as well, just flip the packet over. I had someone tell me that their new favorite protein shake is salted caramel. And I was just like, oh, so what on earth is flavoring it to make it salted caramel? Um, and I did That's get to screenshot the back of her thing. It was just a cocktail of, of flavors and, and enhancers. And I thought, well, there we go. That answers my immediate reaction, which was well, if it's you know meant to taste that good, it's probably filled up with something that's uh, designed to trick our brain into thinking that uh, we're having something that's good for us when, in fact, it's really filled with uh, colours and flavours that were mm-hmm. in many ways artificial. But the flip there was that it was oh, not flavoured with sugar. In this case, it was flavoured with uh, agave. And uh, I thought, wow, there you go. That's There's the trick right there. Oh, so that's kind of answering two questions in one. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, there are some really good protein sources. I really like the Changing Habits um, Inca Inchi Protein. Um, mm. I, th- I think it's the Inca Inchi Protein. Anyway, we'll post it on the, the social media anyway. Um, while we're at the Wellness Summit in particular, there was some guys there who have just developed um, a cacao protein, which was incredible. I had a really good look through the ingredients. We chatted to them who were the actual manufacturers themselves, and everything was organic and biodynamic 
dynamic. So um, we'll, we'll give you some details about how to access that. Um, they're local to Melbourne, um, but it's actually something that I'm going to start stocking the practice over here as well because um, it looked really great. So if you do want to use whey protein and it's for a specific purpose, then we've given you some questions there to ask just to see that or just to make sure that you're getting the best quality that you can and that you're not damaging your health along the process. All right. So our final question, um, just for now, and Ash, I'm going to let you take this one. Um, there's a question come through that what, which is better, gluten-free pasta or whole grain pasta? You just had to leave me the hardest one to last, didn't you? <laughs> oh, look, I'm just going to refrain because, um, look, I don't think either of them are okay. Gluten-free pasta is usually full of crap. <laughs> In in the simplest way to put it, um, whole grain doesn't mean that it's healthful. Uh, whole grains are supposed to be superfood, so they'll use that label, which just is a bit of a cover-up for meaning that whatever grains they've used have gone through a very rigorous processing um, to get to be pasta. Um, so I, I like to use vegetables in, in the place of, say, spaghetti. So I'd use, say, zucchini pasta, which is just – you know, zucchini spirals really, but sorry, Ash, I'm letting you, I'm letting no, you know. Yeah. I was going to say you're rolling on disaster. Well, like I think the key there for me was um, when I thought about that question, I thought, well, it is, it's a catch 22 because neither is really much better than the other. Cause if you've got uh well, as we know, most people have some degree of sensitivity to wheat, then whole grain pasta is going to have wheat in it and gluten. Um, then the gluten-free pasta is essentially just a, a white pasta really made from other forms of, um, uh, flowers, which is often tapioca and, and other starches. And really what remains there on your plate still is a quick acting carbohydrate. Um, you know, it, it acts almost like a sugar at weight spikes your blood. It, it creates that insulin roller coaster. Um, and that's again, what we're trying to avoid. So unfortunately, um, pasta alternatives that are gluten-free are not better for you than the whole grain. Um, if you don't seem to have a great reaction to a whole grain pasta because of the gluten factor, then you really need to be looking at maybe the vegetarian noodles and things like that because that's a much better way of getting your pasta variant than just reaching for the gluten-free option. Um, on the flip side, though, if you feel as though you still want pasta, the kids still want hard pasta, I would choose a whole grain pasta. Um, because of the fact that obviously with the fiber included, it means that you're going to have a slower digestive process on it and hopefully it won't be as intense on that uh, insulin response. So the whole grain pasta can be slightly better in that circumstance. Um, but again, look, I, I think if you can avoid pastas in general, that would be ultimately the best thing to do and uh, choose. I mean, you can have a, a great rice as an option. You can have, Who says you can't have bolognese on rice or, or bolognese <laughs> on zucchini noodles? We've just got this, this thing in our brain that has to be bolognese with spaghetti. Um, and so, yeah, it's really just about flipping it around and, and letting as well you know, kids and families, yourself, your husband, partner, uh, realize that just because that's a traditional recipe, the way we've always seen it, it doesn't have to be that way. You can get creative and use other things. We have um, mincemeat on mashed sweet potato, absolute favorite. Oh, My husband loves it. So we don't do, yeah. uh, we don't do pasta. He does the, the smashed potato and loves it. Um, now, a lot of my Italian friends uh, will be cringing at the thought of this because you know, <laughs> pasta, it's a cultural food for them as well. But the way that they make it is incredibly different. They'll make it from scratch. They do it with their family. It's it's almost like a family bonding experience when they do it. And you know what? When you make food that way by hand and when you eat it together and you have that connection with each other, it's going to 
resonate differently with your system as well. Um, so if you're gonna if you're gonna eat pasta and you can tolerate gluten, then that's probably the way I would do it. Um, but otherwise, if it is a real problem for you, especially if you've got any gut issues, then I would be steering clear of the grains altogether. Um, all right, ladies. That is just a few questions that we've had that, that have come through that we thought were interesting. We would love to hear more from you. So feel free to post them on the Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the wellness women or on Instagram as well. So unders- uh, at underscore the wellness women. Um, but before we wrap up, I think that um, we want to give you a bit of an idea of where we're going to be going over the next 12 months as well. So what the next 52 episodes or the next uh, year for the wellness women might look like and what that means for you as well. And I think one of the most exciting things for us is that we're going to be doing a lot more live events. Uh, the first one's coming up on uh, the 18th of November. We're presenting with Kale Brock here in Perth for his Heal Your Gut Tour. So if you haven't got tickets for that, make sure you're jumping on the Facebook page. You can buy them direct from there. We're going to be running a competition soon uh, as well where you might be able to win some tickets. So keep your eye out for that. And over the next 12 months, there's definitely going to be a lot more live events that are happening um, around the country as well. And we're certainly in contact with some of the leading experts in the topics that you want to hear. So we're going to be doing more interviews um, specifically aimed at the questions that have come through as well. Uh, Ash, what else? Well, look, I think that's just a wrap there. We've got, uh, that's a blockbuster hour today. So that's a really uh, super special, which is exciting. And again, like we've said, bring your questions through because you certainly are the inspiration for us to to talk about topics, to research topics, because we realise at the end of the day, it's not about what we need to know, what we know. It's about what you guys listening would like to know more about and how that's going to help you um, make better choices and just live in a more amazing life. So ladies, thank you so much for a fantastic year. Can't wait for the years ahead. And uh, until next week, we want you to be fabulous and have a really great week. Be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.